0: And each of those sections is going to be a a unique piece on its own, and it will be followed by a song that we will all sing, and then we'll do another one and the same again. Now, I'm going to lead one of those sessions, and and I'm going to finish at the end, but we have invited two of our young people to come and lead us. Uh, This is a bit unusual in terms of what they're going to do, because we've invited them to do it unfiltered. So, we've not schooled them in how to behave like an adult in front of us so that we can be happy that they sound like us. They've been given a brief and they've been given the freedom to do whatever they want with that brief. Um, That is the trust. So, you'll see what happens. I may have helped them put a little bit of polish on it, but trust me, it's what they want to say. So, there'll be four sections. Toby will come and do a section then we'll sing a song, uh, I'm gonna do a reading for you, and then we'll sing a song, then you are going to get involved. There are, uh, you are going to give one of the sections yourself. So what's gonna happen is some readings are gonna come up on the screen, and I'm gonna ask you to volunteer, just where you're sitting, volunteer to be the person who reads whatever's on the screen. And we've got these roving microphones, and I'll bring it to you, and th- that will be your part. So we've got a part for our kids, we've got a part for our young people, We've got a part for one, you know, respected adult who gets the mic, and we've got a part for you, and we've got four songs, and then we're done. So this is just a meditation all the way through, just meditating on the advent of Christ. So I'm going to invite Toby Ford to come to the front right now. Right, Toby Ford. Um, What size shoes do you take? Uh, Look at the microphone. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. Seven and a half, all right. Um, What is the best thing that happened to you this week? Um. What it's like to be 12. (laughs) Ask a five-year-old, they go, ah, it's sweet! But no, what... Watching England beat Wales. Watching England beat Wales on Tuesday. Very good. Uh, What's the most creative thing that you do? Most what? Most creative thing that you do.
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I don't know.
0: (laughs) What's your favourite Bible story? I'm
1: going to say feeding of the five thousand.
0: Feeding of the five thousand. Right. Quick fire. Quick fire round. Ready? Quick fire round. Stay near the microphone. Chips or mash? Uh, Chips. Cats or dogs? Iron Man or Miles Morales? Uh,
1: what? Who's Miles what? Morales. Spider
0: Man. Spider Man, Spider Man in the multiverse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which one? Him. Right. Yeah. Villa or Blues? Uh,
1: Villa. Chicken or beef? Chicken.
0: Football or rugby?
2: Bacon. Wait. <laughs> Bacon. <laughs> Still
0: thinking about the chips and the beef. Still going through his head. Bacon, sausages, cheese. Uh, football or rugby?
1: Oh, football. What
0: football. I <laughs> <laughs> go- goggle boxer, I'm a celebrity.
1: Oh, don't watch either. Don't watch either. A Marvel or DC? Um, Marvel. Marvel,
0: right. Um, Toby, would you introduce your, the piece that you've done for us and just tell people a little bit about it, how it made you feel, what you learned? Uh, and once you introduce it, it will play for you. If we get the lights to go out so that, that we can see it better. Toby, tell us about this.
1: Uh, so, John set me the task of putting a slideshow um, together to show all the problems and of humanity um, I found it disturbing with what all what's going on uh, in today's world um, so I think I touched on eight or nine different topics um, and put them all together in a slideshow so yeah good.
0: take take a seat if we can have the lights back up, we're going to give you a chance to sing now. We're going to sing to a time frame today. So I'm working to a script to, to keep me in that time frame. I still don't think it's going to work, but let's see. Um, a bit of a health warning. Um, I am known for many things, I suppose, uh, but, you know, I'm not afraid of my own emotions. Uh, and if you knew my upbringing, you'd realize that's been quite a hard battle for a very, very long time to get there. So, um, I really don't wish to become terribly moved by emotions in front of you and embarrass you. All well, that's not the point. But I, but I know what I'm about to read. It, does make me, it always makes me emotional whenever I read it. So, I, why not just tell you that? Uh, we can just cope with that together. Um, this is the human condition, too. Toby has told us about the world... Um, What I want to talk about is the individual soul within the world, and I'm going to use myself as an example. If there are things that I miss from my days at university as a young man, it's the long walks. At that time, we never thought anything of these. You don't always know what you've got until it's gone. David Kingsmore and I took such a walk. He was from Port Rush in Ireland on track to become a doctor, and I was from Paisley in Scotland to become a psychologist. David was a significant friend to me at that time, not least because on an evening some months before, himself a lapsed Christian, something I did not know, he felt the need to defend the Christian faith against the, frankly, tirade of abuse that I was giving it this moment came as a shock to both of us. But when the moment came, he was faithful. He would not deny Jesus. This was so profound a revelation to me that it diffused my anger at once and opened up a door of serious inquiry into faith. Some months later, as he and I walked, we spoke in a random way that the late teens do about truly, truly important things, A key point of debate for all thinking young men at that time was whether a rock band uh, going by the name of U2, you may have heard of their work, were or were not Christians? Speculation was rife. Were the many and confrontational things that Bono and the boys did and said not incompatible with the way of a follower of Jesus? Were they just mining their Christian cultural upbringings in Ireland for cheap lyrics to create controversy and drive up sales? Or were they just recently teenagers themselves and they didn't really know what they believed or what they thought? Answers were on a postcard. Our shared love of music may have led to that U2 discussion on this particular long walk on this particular night, but we both knew that David Kingsmore's inadvertent leading me to Christ had slightly backfired on him. Unable to hide his faith, he was now locked into many such long walks with a very curious uh, and not always easy new Christian. And when we talked about Bono and the Boys, we talked about my favorite track of theirs, and David assured me that in that track, the faith that I was hearing was genuine. And when I asked him how he could be sure of that, he said, because the lyrics are from the Bible. And he told me where to find them. I could find them in the book of Psalms, Psalm number 40, and that was the name of the track. The track was called Forty. God, as always in those days, was not without a sense of humor. The boomerang effect of David Kingsmore releasing faith in me was that it was called forth again from him. So when he had to relate the meaning of U2's 40 for me so I could understand it, it was clearly very moving to him. Music does that for teenagers, even when God's not involved. So as a result of our conversation, he went home that night, and he dug out the daily Bible reading notes that his faithful parents had given him to go away to university with, and which he had discarded on day one. The passage that was set for that very day was Psalm 40. For the other teenager, the things were not so easy. My journey into faith did not come without consequences for me. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. But I am always deeply ashamed of the life of sin into which I had sunk, that had made my salvation both necessary and urgent. The more time I spent in the embrace of Christ, His church, and His people, the greater the distance I traveled from that life of sin, the more I knew deeply that Psalm 40 was to be my anchor. 403 words have carried me in gratitude of faith from just another long walk with David Kingsmore on that night, on and on in 35 years of long walks of faith since then. Psalm 40 reminds me of my responsibilities. It reminds me of what has been done for the love of me. It reminds me of my place in the human condition. So, I'm going to read it to you. waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry, and he lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand, and he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. You see, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here am I, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me for troubles without number surround me and my sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life, who be put to shame and confusion. May those who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. Let's stand and sing again. Stand and sing on our own behalf. Here I am, wholly available. Toby, you've heard from me. Human condition number three is the existence of God's church and the three billion people who go to one. Church is a funny thing. You'd think as Bible students that if you were wanting to do a Bible study and you used your computer resources to look up church, you would find, you know, months of of material there. There are 109 mentions of the word church in the New Testament. Most of them are really not very interesting. Most of them, it's just used as a noun. In fact, there's only one place in the Bible where anybody grapples with the identity in God of the church of God. And this is in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. So what I'm going to trust you with is On the screen are going to come, I think it's five, I can't remember now, I think it's five portions of that scripture. And as you see one, and as God moves you in your heart, that you'd like to be the person who reads that to the body, you're going to put up your hand, and I'm going to bring you the microphone, and you're going to read it. And you, you as a church, as a body of Christ, are going to rehearse what the Bible tells us about the meaning of the very thing. That we're sitting in. Do you understand the rules? So I'm going to give Kate the other microphone. She can be my runner on the left side. I'll be the runner on the right. So rules are simple. Read the thing. If you'd like to read it to us, to celebrate it with us, put your hand up. I'll bring you the microphone. You read that one. we do it with all five.
3: And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit.
4: I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence.
0: So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people who, in their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together with every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Thank you. Josh Tyndale, come join me. The human condition number four is, what does it feel like to be a young person in the bosom of the very church we've just been describing? Josh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and I'm going to set you free. Christmas pudding or mince pie? Neither. Ooh. <laughs> Controversial. Swimming pool or ocean? Swimming pool. Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones?
1: Lord of the Rings.
0: McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Sunny or snowy? Sunny. Jason Bourne or James Bond?
1: J- Wait, Jason
0: Bourne. Jason Bourne or James Bond? James Bond. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. England or Senegal?
1: England.
0: (laughs) Right, um, Josh, I'm gonna pray for you and then you're gonna speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this young man and for everything that you have poured into him. Uh, And we ask you to calm his nerves, let him speak clearly and let us be open to hear what he has to say about the life of a young person in this church. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name's Josh Tyndale, and I am coping with meaninglessness. Meaninglessness. That is the subject of my talk this morning. My text is drawn mainly from the book of Ecclesiastes, but I need to start by explaining how I come to be talking about that, and also how I come to be reading this book. The explanation comes in three parts. The first part is easy. I'm standing here because my youth leaders have told me that you'll be very pleased to hear a young person give a talk. They have told me that because of that, it doesn't matter if my talk turns out to be rubbish, you will still really enjoy hearing it. So I'm pleased about that. The second part, the second part of the explanation is not so easy. They have told me that you are interested in hearing about my experience of faith and of church, that it won't matter what I want to say. You are interested in hearing the truth from my perspective. That is going to be the hard part, especially when you stop and think what sort of talk it is going to be if my title of it is coping with meaninglessness. I think you might not be pleased with that. The third part is why I was asked to look at the book of Ecclesiastes and give a talk on it. This is not something I normally want to read. My youth leaders thought that given all the questions I've started asking, I'd be really interested to learn that one of the writers of the Bible had been asking very similar questions. The only thing that was really interesting, however, is how spectacularly wrong they were about that. I found Ecclesiastes difficult. I was bored and confused by it. I first noticed I started to struggle with the meaning of faith last year. I came to the main church service with my dad, and I was just so bored by it. So not wanting to get into trouble by reading the scores whilst I was in church, I had the great idea of reading the Bible on my phone. Although a young person reading the Bible might make me very happy, what I have to tell you is that it just confused me. I found that Jesus was saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be a disciple. Now, I'm asking why Jesus wants me to hate people. I get these sort of questions a lot. In jobs recently, we, were, we have been asked what church should really mean to young people. In one session, we asked our opinions about church we, church worship. One youth leader even described our responses to another youth leader by saying they were brutal but I just think that we sing boring old songs that don't mean anything to me. If you ask me to be honest about how I feel, I feel that church is just not interesting. Having to stay in the main service is just mindless for me. I feel bored and confused because it doesn't mean anything to me. I haven't been saying that because I'm gonna be mean or horrible. I've been saying it because I'm being asked what I think and I'm just telling the truth. And reading Ecclesiastes just did not seem to help at all. This guy waffled on and on, but what he said just makes me complain even more about the meaninglessness of it. Here are some bits I struggled with. In one part, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. But why does God force fear on us? Doesn't fear just lead to anger and doesn't anger just add to hate and doesn't hate just lead to sin? And then after that, he goes and says, as for humans, God tests them. He has no pleasure in fools. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. But why is God never the one to be tested? Why is that not allowed? And also, why does God get to have the choice in not having pleasure in fools? I was always being told that he loved us no matter what. And also, why is this sexism still allowed in the Bible? Then after that, he says, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. But why does God only get to save some people and not the others? Why does he get to make the decisions? That is just really unfair. Then after that, he says, there was a man with no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with wealth. God gives some people wealth and possessions, but does God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. But why does God get to choose who suffers to be wealthy and happy? That is just also very unfair. So I just stopped reading it. Some guy waffling on centuries ago about philosophical questions did not make me feel better, made me feel bored and confused and to make me want a waffle break. I've been told I can be honest with you and I really hope that's true because one thing Ecclesiastes did give me was a way to express what I honestly feel right now. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is exactly how I feel about the servants. No offense. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. This is exactly how I feel about being asked to read the whole Bible. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after wind. This is exactly how I feel when I'm trying to connect with God. So if you ask me to be honest about how church and faith feel from my perspective... I don't mean to upset you, but the truth is that I'm having to cope with the meaninglessness of it. And it's hard to do this. So when it, wh- whoever is preaching, please ponder on the thought of including us in the sermon. Us meaning yops and gobs. So thank you for listening.
0: There lots of sayings in Scotland which are slight put-downs. One of my favourite put-downs is Your mouth's writing checks that your body can't cash. Right. So, my mouth wrote that young man a check. I told him he could say what he wanted to say. Your body has to cash that check. You have to take him into your heart because he belongs to you. They all do. I'm going to finish. We've got one more song to sing together. um, And I'm going to lead you in that song. And then, come, yeah, yeah, come. We, as well as your friends. When Jesus comes to us, he's counter to the culture. Though Magi royalty travel a thousand miles from the east to greet him, though the cosmos celebrated his star to rise, he comes to be a refugee. <laughs> Escaping the slaughter of the innocent the response to his threat to power. If Jesus comes to us, he is counter-revolutionary. Though his kingdom would overwhelm the Holy Roman Empire, his entrance is on a donkey. His welcome for children and the marginalized. He did not shout out in our streets. He has become a bruised reed that we have not broken. He is a smoldering wick that we have not snuffed out. He yet befriends our prostitutes. He yet aligns with our sinning classes. He yet refuses to hate our foreigners or deny our aliens their rights. He yet bids us all of every kind to come to his all in all, a kingdom without gates or without guards, a welcome that is without end. When Jesus counters us like this, we crucify him. His trusted friends desert and disown him in his need, calling down curses on themselves rather than share his accent or own his name. His enemies rise up as one and mock him in his despair. If you will but save yourself from the cross to which we've doomed you, we'll consider whether we need saving. Our military-industrial complex simply extends its voracious protectorate to crush, to pierce, to crucify, to constantly, with military force, discard those who are unacceptable. This is the story of Jesus Christ and his advent here. Jesus, the illegitimate, Jesus, the working class. Jesus, the refugee. The pacifist. The pierced Christ. The one who'd gather all our rejects to his side. The sacrifice we slaughter to our pride. If God, of very God be he, then who must it be said in his story Are we?